today. We come to you every Thursday at 10 o'clock, and you can also check us out on YouTube and iTunes and SoundCloud. But we couldn't do all that without our fabulous sound engineer, Adam Andrus in Houston. Round of applause Yay, for Adam. Adam. Yes, exactly. But today we are hosting Kimberly Phillips Nichols, and she's a trained and licensed designer and planner of healthy commercial workspaces and inspiring public places. She moved from Florida to California and stayed out west for 18 years before moving to Houston in 2012. She's an outdoor woman at heart and an environmentalist and social justice advocate at a very young age. Whether growing up in, as a Mennonite in migrant communities in Florida or hosting international refugees and Bob Marley's kids as an organizer of music festivals, Kimberly is most happy outdoors surrounded by music, family, and friends. And all that sounds absolutely perfect now. I think we're missing our outdoor music festivals and connecting with people in that way. And then Roslyn Vazell Mitchell is an attorney, and she's our attorney. She's a wife and mom. She's a good attorney. She's a tough, <laughs> she's a tough one. I do not want to cross her. Wow. Uh, we're glad she's on our side. She has an affinity for fashion, a passion for health and wellness, and also a love of music and philanthropy. She was born in Houston, Texas, but moved to Delaware when she was only 10 years old. And after graduating from high school, she attended Hampton University with poli-sci major, and then Texas Southern University, Thurgood Marshall School of Law. And she's been practicing law since 99 and is senior counsel of Weiser, Kaplan, Pulaski, and Zuber. You would think with a name like Danae Cromosa, I could pronounce that. But she is also involved with real estate and corporate and intellectual property management. And to fuel her creative artistic side, she recently launched this amazing new business with Kimberly called Roki. Rokey, Rokey Design. Ladies, how did this happen? Attorney, designer, designing scarves? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of started out of, uh, for me personally, it was just a project I signed up to do for an organization my husband's involved with. And I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I raised my hand when they needed somebody to come up with something for the ladies to wear because all of they, none of the women that are in the other organization were interested in wearing the same outfit. And I was like, well, we don't have to wear the same outfit, but they wanted us to be represented at this uh, convention in a way where everybody can recognize us as the host chapter. Right. And so I was like, hmm, how can we do that? But it's something that people could appreciate and recognize and see. And I came up with the idea of coming up with a scarf. I said, well, if we wear a scarf, people can wear it any way they want to wear it. There's no size restrictions. And I didn't had no idea. I didn't know where I was going to get manufactured. I didn't know how I was going to design it. I had nothing. I just literally said, okay, I'll do it. So I scribbled something down on paper um, on a design concept after I reviewed the history of the, um, the fraternity. And I uh, found a designer that I'd worked with a long time ago on a project and collaborated and came up with our very first design. And so shortly after that, I just wanted to kind of see how it went. And everybody loved it, thankfully, because <laughs> I spent a lot of time and effort in doing it. Um, I reached out to Ken because she was already making these amazing um, pillows and um, handbags and things out of repurposed items. And so I knew that, well, I hoped when I met with her, she would agree, but I was like, this would be like a perfect fit. You know, we have new scarves that we design custom creations for community-based organizations, nonprofits, or, or just commercially. And then we also could have a lot of products that takes existing scarves and, and, and find new life and new meaning and new ways to use them. And so that was sort of the start. And the first scarf is right here behind me. So this is the first one we did and we released it last November, actually. Yeah. And Kimberly, you are a seamstress at heart. You started sewing as a six-year-old girl, maybe even sooner. I thought five years old when I was reading five, <laughs> yeah. yes. And 
I mean, Malcolm Gladwell says 10,000 hours commitment gets you to be an expert. Do you feel like you're there? You know, I, I'm loath to use the term expert, but I would say that um, I'm I'm very picky about my, my scenes and the quality of my work. And I have probably spent well in excess of the 10,000 hours that he that he references. So um, yeah, one of the things that is really meaningful to me is that a lot of the uh, products that have been ordered from us recently are repeat clients. And some of these folks are coming back three and four times. You know, I see a name pop up in an order and I'm like, yay, them again. And, and they always say that um, the quality of the craftsmanship and the durability of the product is is what keeps them returning. And so I think my my mom's lesson when I was a little kid, when we were talking about sewing and seaming, was when in doubt, rip it out. And so if it's, right, if it's not right, you fix it. So we like that. Oh, I find it crazy that y'all decided to start this business in November, which was great timing. The world was rolling. Everything is great. Then COVID hits. And the world changes, but yet it, we're offered lemons, but you can make lemonade. <laughs> a whole other industry is born. Yes. Yeah. That's, and I think it's critical. Um, I hear Zeus wanting to be a part of the, a part of the conversation. Um, I, I have to tell you that the, the pivot part was, it, it wasn't something we sat down and we were like, okay, how do we pivot? That sort of a thing. It, it grew naturally and us <laughs> is about authenticity, right? And so the reason that we have been, in my opinion, that we have been successful in pivoting to making masks from vintage luxury goods and some of our own um, scarves is that it came from a place of service. It started because my family is in medicine and they were desperate for mask covers to extend the life of their PPE in practice. And I started making masks to give away as a donation from our uh, hemp and organic cotton fabrics in, in my other store in Houston Emporium. And so that that naturally progressed into the, the medical practitioners wanting to buy large quantities for their families because they really appreciated the quality of work and the fact that it was a donation. And so it built on these things. And so it wasn't an attempt to sort of uh, capitalize on a challenging situation. It was a natural outgrowth of, of being there to serve, right? And so when you come from the right place, um, and I know you all have talked about this before, Roz and I have had a lot of conversations, but when you come from the right place of service, then I think that the, the, the creator recognizes that and opens up opportunities that you weren't even trying to bank on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Roz and I were talking about this in the beginning of COVID, you, it was so scary and we were all so worried and we thought, where is fashion's place in all of this? Is this going to seem too flippant to talk about fashion. And we've learned that fashion, it gives me chills to say it, the stories that go behind it, the journey, it's a creative outlet. People are searching for inspiration. And we saw it when, um, Roz, you came onto the set with your white shirt and you put that scarf on and your face lit up and you had more energy and more shine and and then there's also the story that goes behind that. And I read that on your website, it's the purpose and the people. Can you talk a little bit about that too? Because I think we're all as a community really trying to get a sense of belonging and community and inclusion. And how can a scarf do that? But it does. It does, it does. And so this concept, even though we released that in November, Keep in mind, in November, Kimberly didn't even really know about much about this. I hadn't even talked to her yet. There was no entity started. We didn't have a trademark. We didn't have anything. So I put this together. And so I kind of say we had a soft opening where we just kind of put something out there to see what happened. And then after I saw the success of this, we started getting everything together, getting our business together, our strategy together, and literally our... Uh, 
our official launch for our business was supposed to be March. <laughs> supposed so, to be. Yeah, right. supposed to be March. Exactly. So we, to say that we were a little bit caught off guard would, would, would be, you know, a statement just, yeah. We, we were completely like, okay, now what? We're sitting here looking at each other. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting way for us to create something that we thought we weren't sure whether there would be an audience or not. And so we pivoted in order to capture that audience. And there is an audience out there, and there are people out there that want to be fashionable even when they're wearing a mask. So thankfully, that's helped sustain our business. But the true, true foundation of what we wanted to bring to the table was based on purpose, people, and repurpose. And the purpose part is both Kimberly and I have really strong relationships in certain organizations and certain community efforts. And so um, I personally have been very heavily involved with the American Heart Association, Herman Park Conservancy, um, and a couple of other nonprofits, um, uh, Project Row Houses here in Houston. And so I, I wanted to find and in doing a lot of the work that I do as a volunteer with some of these organizations, um, I did reach out to some of the other scarf creators and owners, and I was always asking for donations, and could you do this, and could you do that? And I would sort of not get the responses I would think I would get, considering the fact that I was a really good client. And so I felt like there was a need for that, and it didn't have to be a scarf, it could have been anything. But I wanted to be able to bring something in an artistic way that could be worn, that was affordable, that people could support not only and get something beautiful, but they could also support an organization that they love. And so that is the purpose side. We literally create from custom designs. We work with artists throughout the world to come up with something that really tells the story or is meaningful in a way and represents that organization. Um, and then the people side is there's so many artists throughout the United States and throughout the world that you may not know, that you may not know anything about, and especially here in Houston. We have a huge artist community. We wanted to give them the benefit of having something that they could have available that is not, you know, a thousand dollar piece of artwork, but it's, you know, a hundred to three hundred dollars far. Somebody could have their piece or they get more recognition and um, get more visibility um, in a new way and with a new audience, a more fashionable audience. But now they see this artwork on, you know, and so that was the people side of it. And so we've worked with some local artists and we've worked with some artists internationally um, in order to create some designs we think are absolutely beautiful. And so this is still a work in progress for us. So now you're, you're designing your, your, your scarves and I understand the silk screening process. And do you have these manufactured in the U S with the multiple colors and the multiple screens? And is that whole process still how it's done? So we are currently manufacturing in China and in Italy. Okay. And so, um, clearly COVID affected that as well. And <laughs> <laughs> so we literally like the week, after, uh, it was like right before Italy shut down, one of our shipments that we had to have came out and we were like, oh, thank goodness, because three or four days after they put it in the uh, DHL to send it to us, Italy completely shut down due to the pandemic. And we were like, oh my gosh. Um, it, and then it, again, we were trying to prepare for March. And so it was the scarf that we wanted to do for March, which was for the March of Dimes, of course. Event. Just, Yes, best dressed, and you are the epitome of a woman who's best dressed because it's not just about dress, but it's about what you give back to the community, and you've given back so much to the community. And it's amazing. There's only eight of those pieces left, and I, I am. applaud you for that effort and making a difference within the community. I feel like people look at scarves and go, well, I don't know if a scarf's for me, but the way you're wearing it is so hip. There's so many, and 
it's this recycle thing that we're talking about too. It can be artwork. I've made pillows out of it. It becomes the mask. It has so many different forms, but it goes back to this quality that you guys put into it and the love and care. It's a good quality piece of merchandise, baby, a watch, a handbag, a scarf. It'll last forever. We have some Hermes scarves that we bought from customers that are 40 years old, that are timeless, that are still beautiful. It shows the world different because the the artwork on them is a little different perspective of how the world looks compared to now. But mm -hmm. uh, quality and all that is just so important. And the passion you two have is, is just, you, you bubble. It's nice to see. Because if you are happy at what you do at work, you don't work a day in your life. And I see the passion you have when you're trying to save our butts as an attorney. Okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm not going to cross you. Second time I've said this, I'm not going to be on your bad side. But it's, it's, you two just glow. I mean, all I see are smiles and teeth right now while you're doing this, which is great. I mean, it's, it's fun to see people that are happy doing what they do and giving back. Because we've learned, and you said it earlier too, when you give back, it, it seems to come back tenfold. And even when you're not trying, because we gave out masks as, a, as just to give them away at the beginning, because I didn't want to make money on this whole COVID thing. It's not where we are coming from. But people wanted a good quality, usable mask. And we're in this for a while now. I mean, we're going to be through, at least through the end of the year, probably wearing masks. So a good quality one we can wash, we can use, repurpose, yes. instead of those throwing away, more landfill, more problems. That, yeah, don't, I don't get me started on all that, too. But yes. So as women who both have, in addition to collaborating with each other, you have families and husbands and dogs. And, I mean, as a mom who works in my business and so much charity, tell us about balance. Tell us how you keep yourself grounded in this uncertain time, in this time where you could work 24-7. How do you both find balance? Nobody wants to talk first. <laughs> Kimberly, you go first. I think that the word balance is is, is a challenge because um, it, it, it implies that all things are somehow sort of equally distributed. And I think we all know as being entrepreneurs that um, nothing in our timing of our, our days or in what we're doing is, is really equally distributed. But having a very supportive family, and I'm extremely blessed, like my entire family, my husband's family are all incredibly supportive of being entrepreneurs, having family businesses, and being a part of that lifestyle. So it is, it is great. Um, I'm not working 24/7, but I will say sometimes, you know, I'm drifting off to sleep, and I'm thinking about that la latest scarf I just washed up and the fun things I'm going to do with it. But it's having um, great communication and a lot of respect for each other that uh, allows us to truly have this flexibility and, and to do these things um, because there's no way I could work in the corporate world anymore. I did that. And um, being an entrepreneur is, is uh, I, I'm not sure that balance is the right word, but I will say flexibility and flow because sometimes like uh, last week it was really quiet and we didn't have a lot of orders. And so it was one of those impromptu opportunities to say, I'm not going into the studio for two days, you know? And you may not have that flexibility when you're working for someone else. You can have some self-care days. And then the next week we get a significant volume of orders, which we would not have expected. So it's also being um, responsive in the flow. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with everything Kim really said. And so I always use a quote that I got from, um, I don't know if you know Jill Jewett here in Houston. Um, she's the daughter of the, one of the finger family brothers. Anyway, had lunch with Jill Jewett a long time ago, and she could see that I was struggling sort of with the whole family and the balance and the work and stuff. She said, honey, let me tell you something. Yeah. There is no balance. So throw it, just throw it all the way out the window. Forget about that. There's no way 
possible for you to give 100% at work, 100% to your family, 100% to yourself, 100% to, she's like, there's just no way. So what you have to do is give everything that you can in the moment, in the time, the best of yourself and feel good about what you can do in that moment if you stay, you know, open and like Kimberly was saying, flexible, then you're able to appreciate those moments with whatever you do it, with whomever you're doing and whatever you're doing it for, whether I'm working with a client, you focus 100%, whether I'm with my family, I focus with them. That way I'm giving them my attention at that moment and in that time and I appreciate it and I remember those moments and I learn and grow from them daily. Um, I'm also lucky, I'm, 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 work, I'm working um, you know, as an attorney still, but I'm also grown into working in a way that allows me to, to, to allow my creative side. Cause I, I honestly, I, people are like, well, do you like practicing law? I'm like, I love practicing law. I love doing that. It's not that I don't like it. Um, it's just that I also have this little creative side that I have within me. That's like burning inside in a little bubble. And a lot of people think they're like, Oh, well, I've seen all this other stuff. I don't think you're practicing law anymore. I'm like, well, one thing you got to remember about lawyers is everything we do is confidential. So I can't get on Facebook. Exactly. I was like, so no, you don't hear me talking about it on Facebook or on Instagram or anything else, or even just publicly because it was confidential. So I work for my clients and then, you know, in the evenings and on the weekends, I do other things to kind of keep that, um, sort of creative side going and keep that flexibility in my life and in my heart so that I can kind of stay happy. It helps me stay happy. And I love the quote that you said. Um, it's from Philippians 2, verse 3 through 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And right. to me, that goes so back to your um, statements on your website. The purpose is to represent a custom line of scarves to created to fulfill a purpose and support an organization that benefits the community. So again, you're about people and purpose. And Correct. I, I think it's been interesting for me because um, People can see me and I'm always dressed up and I love fashion and style and they think maybe that I'm not deep or I don't have meaning. And what I've always tried to do with my position is take that position of, um, of fashion and style and creativity that you can help other people, but do it for charities. And right. so with your free time, you're doing it. Free but, time. Free but, time. But I heard that not, word, free time. Exactly. Yes. Because as, I mean, we've had this conversation before. I think the reality is that anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur know that they should love what they're doing because it will be all yeah. of you. And now we even have our daughter, our 13 year old daughter, Bella, doing our Pinterest account. And she's been checking my um, Instagram messages for me and responding. But, um, we wanted to give her a little bit of purpose instead of being just on TikTok. And there's a way in it. Oh, we've taken TikTok away now. We have. And um, I think it's interesting that you say it's your family. And you were joking earlier that your husband cut some of the pieces. And I certainly know Derek is involved with you. So yeah, he's our, he's our CFO, Derek. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. I love that. role. <laughs> well, and for us, and people say, so did you start your business? And I said, no, I came into Rob's business. I branded it the Vintage Contessa and a big part of life. And let's talk about that is social media and branding and the way you put things out to the public. And as having your son, Derek, and our daughter, Bella, knowing that whatever you put out there is forever in that who you are every day is your brand. Let's talk about that. Now that we can't get together, how are you communicating with clients through social media? How has that changed with COVID? We can't wear something to an event and sell it off of our body because there's not an event. Tell us about <laughs> right. that change. 
Well, I will say it hasn't been as hard for us to transition in that way, just for, at least for Roki, because we are, um, we didn't necessarily, we didn't have plans to do a brick and mortar for the business. Um, we were pretty much going to be e-commerce. And so it, we've always communicated electronically with our clients. Um, and we have been very blessed over the past few months where we had one particular boutique reach out to us on Instagram. I had never heard of them. I, I, I love them. And they reached out and asked us about our products. And we did our first order with them. And I can't think now, are we on our third or fourth order I, with them now? I, this is like the fifth order that um, that we're processing for them. And it's it's really beautiful because we would not have planned that, right? Like the those touches from social media, you never know who's watching. Uh, so the, that message that you put out of the people and the purpose is such an important part of that. It has to be authentic, right? Coming back to yeah. that question, how do you know it's authentic? How do you know it's real? But if the message is truly authentic, mm-hmm. then people are going to be drawn to that. And so by putting out an authentic message, whether it's a fun video of me talking about um, the extraordinary workmanship, Rob, you talked about the, the craftsmanship. When I take apart an old Hermes or a Pucci piece, it takes a lot of work to take that apart because the craftsmanship that went into creating it to make it an heirloom quality piece, um, there's a lot of work to undo that. And so whether it's fun behind the scenes videos in that way or us doing shoots where we're doing the this, the stop motion or fast, fast motion, um, they're all great tools for that. But people have to see the authentic message, whether it's a an Instagram post or, you know, these, these great things, which obviously we're excited to be able to share this podcast with everyone and to reach new people and to have folks that have followed us now be introduced to you who they might not have been introduced to before. Uh, You know, I do want to say you all at Vintage Contessa really walk that talk of community. I was introduced to you all because you were a sponsor and I honestly cannot even remember what the event was, but in the swag bag that you always get, right? Were your $50 off coupon cards um, to come into the store. And I was like, oh, well, I love vintage, right? And so I thought it was really cool. And I looked you up and I came in and bought um, the uh, Le Cheyenne uh, by Kermit Oliver for Hermes scarf from you and your people were amazing. You know, I probably bought one of the least expensive things in the store. It didn't matter. They treated me great, but it was that willingness of you all to sponsor and support nonprofits that introduced me to your store. And I think that's a beautiful way for people to really know where you're coming from and want to support that. Yeah. And I think Houston, um, and I, I, it's probably true for other communities, but I feel it mostly in Houston, that mm-hmm. we have truly a committed community to the good of the community. And I think right. we saw that in the way we managed um, the recent protest, but everything was peaceful. The way that we managed Harvey, that we all came together. There is truly this core belief in helping one another. And I believe in the scripture for those who are given much, much is expected. So I think that all these, we, I see it with some celebrities that you use your platform and talking about fashion. And that's why we came up with this podcast is it's not just about living life luxuriously, but it's about living life authentically, which then translates to luxury because I read this amazing quote that like, um, health is the new wealth and joy is the new success and it's so it is so true as um specifically in this time of us being so concerned about the health and welfare of our community and it isn't just health i mean it's welfare we can't take care Mm -hmm. of our charities in town and distribute what we need to our community without having viable businesses so for those people who don't see the value of business success, they're missing out on a part of this because it, it is truly heartbreaking to see how we've come to this place. But 
Um, I'm so happy you had a great experience in our store. We really grew by connecting with people. And you, uh, Roz, you met Marina Sava, who was the artist for our children's book at my birthday party at the store when we could have events and then evolved to a collaboration. Um, how do you know when someone's safe for a collaboration? I mean, we collaborate all the time and we get burned sometimes, but most of the time it's good. Tell us about like, what do you look for? Even as an attorney, when you're representing someone, how, how did, what's, what are the, some of those gut things you look for? Or when you're working on a project do you, with an owner, Kimberly, that you want to know truly has their heart in it. Well, I'll say I'll, I'll start with some, most of the time in terms of rookie, we're, we're working with artists. And so we kind of um, teeter on a, <laughs> a very careful scale <laughs> where you have to kind of just, they're artists. And so yeah. both Kimberly and I have both at both sides. We have that we have figured out how to manage the creative and the business aspects where a lot of the people we collaborate with, at least for Roki, they're a hundred percent art. And so we kind of, um, a little, there's sometimes there's a little bit of handholding and sometimes it depends if they're more independent and entrepreneurial, but I can tell you one of the particular scarves I worked on on the artist, I think she quit like four or five times. <laughs> and literally, I was like, uh, Kimberly, she just quit again, but that's okay. I'm going to bring her back and get her back. And we're just, we're going to work it out because her piece, her work was so beautiful. It was like perfect for this particular cause. And I was like, I have to get her to work on this. I found her online and it, I couldn't work with anybody else. But anyway, we try to work with people, honestly. Clearly, because we're women, we like to work with other women. We like to support other women. We like to bring to life artists, um, whether they be graphic or, um, um, you know, very uh, more. I'm not really, I, I haven't taken any artistic courses, so I don't know the specific terms for the, for the different times. But whether they're more modern or whether they're more traditional artists whether they're doing oil paintings or whether they're doing mixed media, we try to find different artists that really bring causes and things to life that you wouldn't ordinarily see. So I'll just use an example of one of our artists, which is Siobhan Butler. Siobhan lives here in Houston and she, her pieces always represent a specific um, cause or purpose that really resonated with her. And so the piece that we have from her is called Primus. And it features ballerinas. All of the ballerinas are different colors. Because when she saw Misty Copeland, who was the first African-American ballerina to be with the American Ballet, then she created Primas. And she wanted to see ballerinas represented in different colors and, and in different ways. And so those are the kinds of things that we look to in terms of an artist, where it truly within is also very authentic to who they are and what they want to bring to light. Um, as an attorney, you know, we just want to work with people that, you know, we can, I, 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 I meet people all the time and I just, you know, I, I'm pretty open to trying to figure out how to work through people's issues and resolve them for them. But for the most part, we just want people to come in with an open mind and be reasonable in terms of their expectations for what they want and what they'll receive in terms of our representation of them. Um, I sort of have the, I don't know what it is, maybe it's because I am, I think I, I have a generally sweet personality just socially, but I think I'm a lot to deal with if you know me, you know, from a business standpoint. And so I have a tendency to get a lot of clients that are very difficult as well, because for some reason I seem to be able to get along with them. <laughs> And keep them happy. And so, um, you know, I don't think there's one or the other. It's just, you know, learning how to give service, learning how to figure out how to work with people, whether they're very, you know, type A, high priority and have a lot of needs or they may be low needs. I, I do my best to be a service to everybody that I work with. And I, and again, I try to give them my best in that moment and in that time. Yeah. Uh, you know, for projects, because in the built environment, um, 
we have to design something that really tells the story. And um, that's why uh, my husband, Tom, he actually, on my LinkedIn profile, he, he put a title of design raconteur because the raconteur is really the storyteller, right? They're the, the keeper of knowledge of, of, of um, what's going on. And I, my job is to tell the story of the client. So we meet with people for the first time and we start talking about their goals on a project and what they want to accomplish. I will tell them straight up if I'm not the right person to tell their story because there are some people in some businesses that I simply cannot authentically translate the built environment, um, whether it's just because I don't resonate with the message or I really have issue with what those people are doing. Um, and so I just respectfully say, I'm, I'm not the right person for you, but here's three names and numbers of people that you might wanna reach out to that might be a great fit. Um, but yeah, have I had people that I've had to walk away from? Have I had projects where I've had started and then been like, hmm, you know what, this is not my jam. I've, ha I've had to have that too, for sure. But mostly when I work for other people, which is why I love working for myself is because I know that at the beginning and I have the abilities to say no at the beginning when I work for myself rather than being kind of expected to say yes and then get part way down the road and you're like, oh man. <laughs> I understand that we've um, had to, for lack of a better term, divorce some clients over the years. Yes. And <laughs> in my wholesale part of my business, we call it having a good hand some people you have a good hand with and you can work with and they they work with you as a team for decades we've i've had clients for decades and yet some no matter what it is it just doesn't turn out and that ability as an entrepreneur or self-employed person to say you know i'll go have a drink with you and talk with you but we just don't need to do business life's too short i still have right. hair at 50 plus which is a big deal in my family so yeah that's up that's a great asset of being self-employed except working seven days a week or <laughs> yeah, I, I tell them I only work on days that end in Y. And it's so true. Um, I want to also go back a little bit to that balance thing. I think that they say, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And that's the crazy thing. I know working, with Roz is that she and I are both like emailing each other at 12 midnight or 5 p.m. or whatever, because that's when the moment happens. The light goes off and Timmy goes, oh, I go, we gotta go to sleep. No, I've got to just send this one, one more text. I've got to get this done now while I'm on my mind. So we get to be here and we get to have, like you're saying, you get to have more flexibility, but with that also comes more responsibility because you're, constantly on and no matter where we are or who we're meeting with we um we're thinking about our business because it's a baby too that has to be fed and we have employees that we have to take care of and that's our responsibility to them and let's talk more about this recycle repurpose all of that that's been a great we talked before about both of us being lead ap's and I was with um, in the construction industry for 22 years before I became the vintage Contessa. And I also feel blessed to be at 40 years old, I'm now 52, to have started a business. And so many women are coming together to launch their passions. And my passion was fashion. I know that's dorky, but I think both of you guys, it's this same thing. But, uh, and I loved finding that thing that had the story if the handbag could talk if the and tell me the journey it's been on so how do you guys sort of source for your recycling how how is that working how what's this um tell us a little bit about that that process and how you're finding things now that vintage is so cool like everybody wants to be thrifting and vintage shopping <laughs> You know, um, we're very fortunate because I'm not just looking for vintage, but I'm usually looking for um, vintage items that have seen better days. I'm not afraid of the damage um, 
the stains, those kinds of things. So the things that are not necessarily of value to a store like Vintage Contessa, because you're dealing in, you know, pristine, beautiful items, we take the next thing down from that, or maybe even a couple of things down from that, and work with those things that people thought um, might have been discards. And so, you know, the other person's trash is definitely my treasure, and having the ability to sort of see in in through that damage um, of what you can do with it is critical. And so having, so whether it's stores like yours that give a call and say, heads up, I had just had somebody come in and I was able to take like two thirds of their stuff, but the other third would be beautiful, but it's got issues. Or um, I have another girlfriend who um, tattoo at Couture Blowout. She, she has a lot of clothing, right? And so she'll call and say, hey, I just had somebody come in with this incredible Gucci dress, but I can't sell it, it's got damage. And so by having those relationships with small local businesses, that's extremely helpful for us um, because we have people who are already savvy what we're doing that are thinking of us. So we're top of mind for them for things that aren't perfect for them. Uh, and then I've had some um, both regional and international dealers that I've worked with for a long time that I know are um, they're fair, they deliver quality product, their product is always authentic, and I don't have to like worry about doing my own due diligence after I've put money out on something. And so that's been very helpful. So it's been a mixture of local in-person and um, where would we be without the, the globalization of the internet and the flattening of, of access and, and ability? And so um, when you say if, the, if this purse could talk, so when I get a piece and I, I kind of, I wash it, I steam it, I lay it out in front of me and it just, it starts to tell me what I'm gonna do with it. I am a firm believer that the fabric tells you what it wants to be. And so when I spend time with a textile, whether it's the specialty of the weave of a plain looking textile or whether it's the artistic print of the Hermes and the Pucci's, um, you, as I start to, to work with it, it's kind of like, you know, divining it and sort of asking it to tell me what it thinks its best use is. And I can usually uh, fairly quickly work around whatever damage there is, you know, I'll mark it and then let other pieces come up with it. And so. I never know from one scarf to the next what I'm going to do with it until I lay it out and and it, and it sort of speaks to you. And we're running out of time, but I want to ask both of you and first pitch it to, to Rosalind. How did you come up with your own authentic style? Do you feel like it's evolving? Like, do you have pieces that you're coveting that you work towards getting or you just go buy everything you want because i think people see us as we just buy everything we want and i know that's not the truth sadly <laughs> we tell us about your journey because i found it refreshing to know that you as a woman who's one of the best dressed women in our country plans and looks at things so um I'll say it's it's ever evolving, so I'll agree with that that statement. Just, um, but I've always been addicted to fashion. So I, in probably middle school, yeah, middle school. Once we moved, so I grew up in, you know, I was born in Houston, grew up in Orange, Texas. We moved to Delaware. Was probably when I first started getting um, Vogue magazine and Cosmopolitan magazine, and I would cut the people out. And I would post them up all over my room because I thought they were so amazing. And uh, at the time, unfortunately, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me, but there were some. There were a few, and so I cut out Beverly, and I would cut out um, uh, Iman and all the African American models that I saw because I was so impressed with them and their looks. And I would say probably it started with handbags. And so for me, accessories has always been a really, really big thing because I feel like with an accessory you can basically recreate an entire outfit and make it look luxurious, even if you bought it from Walmart. You know, you can take anything you want and kind of dress it up with a scarf or a bag or the right shoe or the right belt. And there's multiple uses you can make with that versus if you just have a really expensive dress, wear that dress and you're kind of like, okay, can I wear that again and again and again and again? And you've spent a lot of money on it. 
So um, it started with handbags. I'd probably say my first handbag that I recall getting that was branded was back in the day, and I'm about to show my age. It was the Liz Claiborne with the Liz Claiborne logo. Yeah. Yes. And I had the crossbody. Oh, <laughs> and that. yeah, but then I took a leap from uh, Liz Claiborne to MCM. So, oh, wow. yeah. And this was the middle school. So <laughs> I wanted an MCM bag and I demanded it from my parents. My parents said no. And so I got a job and I started bait. I started babysitting. Um, at the time, I thought I was babysitting. I now know I was pretty much a nanny for a little boy. And I saved my money up, and I bought my first MCN high-end handbag from Macy's. And then it grew from there. It went from that to Coach, to Dooney and Burke, to Gucci, um, to, you know, it just it, it, it skyrocketed after that and until today. And so do I buy everything I want anytime I want it? Absolutely not. I have a process in my closet. Um, I haven't been very good at it recently, but I need, you're reminding me I need to get back to it, which is one thing in, one thing out. And so whether it's a dress or a handbag or a shoe, I've been really good with the accessories. It's harder with the clothing just because... It is what it is. But if I buy a new handbag, I usually have already given away or sold or done something with a handbag that I already have. If I'm buying a new dress, I usually try to make sure, oh, well, I've already sold a couple of dresses. And so um, I do a lot of sales through this um, uh, consignment source, Tracy Online. And I, and I just, I sell a lot of the, the really nicer dresses and things like that online. And so I try to, go in and out. And I also try to just reinvigorate or change things that I already have. So I may have a gown that I wore two years ago and I may take the sleeves off or I may cut the skirt or I may do something different to make it look brand new when it's the same old dress that I bought two or three years ago from Tootsie. So. <laughs> I love it. Amberly. Um, so I didn't grow up very stylishly. Um, in a in a very religious community, it was very it was more so just about like being an authentic person, and so I, I felt like as I as I grew up and really started admiring um, designs like Gucci for me because from the graphic perspective, from the yeah. line, everything about um, Emilio's work is masterful, and so for me, it was being drawn to the design of what I was seeing. And so um, I definitely uh, work to earn what I want. You know, if I identify something in particular, like a couple of years ago, I was taking a, um, a leadership, women in leadership course from Cornell. And so I told myself, when I finish this, I will have earned this particular item. Right, and so um, it it is. It's not a huge driver for me to finish because I'm a, a high internal drive person. But it's giving oneself permission to say I've earned this. Uh, it, it is 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 really important. And my I don't have a particular aesthetic. I have a significant collection of vintage clothing, um, simply because I, I was very fortunate to be around people. One of them was actually. Um, one of the first Asian American models that I Magnon used back in the 60s. Oh, wow. uh, she was my, she was my first. I, I guess you call it grandmother-in-law from my first husband, and it's um, <laughs> a model and uh, socialite. And I was blessed to take care of her in the last week of her life. And she said, "Go through my closet. You have to model everything for me, but go through my closet, and if you'll use it, you can have it." And so that was a really wonderful way to kind of like start collecting and really appreciating specific pieces. Um, so for me, it's like it has to it has to really represent how I'm feeling or that authenticity. But finding pieces that I resonate with uh, artistically is is key. And we found that with almost every fashionable woman and man I've ever interviewed, it's about collecting pieces when you travel, having a memory, 
We see it so much with the pieces that people buy from us. It's to commemorate, now that we can't have parties and events to commemorate a birthday, it's about a special gift or something that has a heritage that can also be passed on to other people. And I tell a right. story about my first Hermes scarf was from 1992. I bought it in Paris and now it's a pillow in our entryway. And I get to see it every day. And I remember that trip with my girlfriend and I remember going in and that was my first orange box and just feeling like it was incredible. And I too started with a handbag addiction as, as a young girl. My dad would go to Italy on buying trips and he would bring back Gucci bags for my mom and I from the and me for, from the duty free. And my first bag that I bought, and I remember my hand shook, I bought it from Foley's. It was a Dooney Burke for $223. I saved all the money I made working at the Limited all summer, and my hand shook that I was paying $223. But that's where the passion comes from. It's from the stories, it's from the purpose, it's from working hard to get it and it's not just I mean certainly people appreciate it if it's given as a significant gift but right. you ladies are the epitome of authenticity and purpose and style and it's been such an honor to meet with you and talk to you and hear your inspiring stories of creativity and connection and collaboration and we are excited to launch our giveaway this week you guys have another giveaway because I'm famous because I get to give away something every week. It just fills my heart. No, no, no. It does. It does. No, but it's... So people will follow you on Instagram and Facebook and tag two friends. Follow us on Instagram and tag two friends and then like our YouTube. We didn't even talk about Ross, your amazing um, Pilates, yoga, ballet, that part of the journey. Like there's so many things we didn't even touch on with you guys and all the honor you received in the write-ups, but we adore you. We will be posting on our stories. We're giving away a Chanel brooch along with your beautiful um, scarf and mask, but we want everyone to continue following, supporting women, supporting each other in our growth, and the men who stand behind us and beside us. <laughs> all right, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Um, thank farewell you. until next week. Bye. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye.